You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James 5 tonight, back in our series in James. And as you find it, go ahead and stand And last time we were in uh, James, we talked about waiting well. And uh, we spend a good part of our lives waiting on something, don't we? Waiting on um, in line, waiting for something to arrive, waiting for a package to get delivered, waiting for Easter tracks to come because they disappeared in the mail for a week and a half. That's really oddly specific, but, you know, it happens. And, uh, you know, since that's the case, we may as well learn how to wait well. You know, because we're going to spend a lot of our time waiting. We're waiting on the Lord to return. So we might as well take the time that we're waiting and do it the best we can. And uh, God, very often at times, uh, God waits uh, to teach us a lesson or to send us a prayer answer. And and we often are waiting on God. And, And last time the reminder was that he has a plan for the wait. And in our times of greatest trouble, we always can say... I don't know how and I don't know when, but one thing is certain, I know him. And when you know him and you know that he's full of mercy and you know that he's full of of pity toward us, then we know he never wastes a wait. He always has a plan for it. That was our focus last time. So now then, as we come to verse 12, is is the thought tonight, the, the verse, I struggled with what to do with this verse. Um, because it's kind of in no man's land. It sits between two thoughts. The first part of the chapter is about affliction suffered at the hands of others, specifically the rich. The last half of the chapter is about personal affliction, specifically pertaining to the effects of sin in our lives and the effectual fervent prayer that has power against it. And I'm grateful, can't wait for those truths. But as I looked at verse 12, um, I couldn't bring myself to skip it. But I wasn't really sure how it fits in exactly. And uh, the more I thought about it, though, the more that I saw how it might connect to the verses both before and after. So we're going to try to do that in a natural way today. But in order to get that context, I'd like to begin reading in verse 7 and then going through verse 12. It says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord... Behold, the husbandman waiteth, and that's where we got the idea for the message last time, waiting well, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And that was the verse that we came to. I don't know how, I don't know when, but one thing is certain, I know him. So then we come to verse 12, and it says, But above all things, my brethren... Swear not, neither by heaven, or neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. So on first reading, can you see how that's difficult to fit in to the context of what we've been talking about? It's like, this is like one of the teen guys, just odd. 
just doesn't really fit in. Sorry, I, I wasn't talking about you. Just understand, it's the guy next to you. So, you just, and, and you're just not really sure where it fits. Colin's like, yeah, he's talking about me. So, <laughs> you're not sure where they fit in. And, you know, it's kind of the awkward phase, right? And sometimes you come to a verse, you're trying to figure out where it goes. But I really believe we can apply this to suffering. We can apply this to affliction. This is a principle that we can use and the, the title that I'd like to give tonight, and it fits, Brother Dodson was like, I like the title of your message. Uh, the title tonight is Foxhole Faith. Foxhole Faith. And he was in the military. Many of you have been in the military. So I want to kind of focus on, on what this, how this might apply um, when we're in a foxhole. And not, not real, not really, but in, in the, the Christian life, when we're in a, when we're in a foxhole. So I want to pray and ask the Lord to bless our reading and our time, and then we'll get into the preaching. Father, uh, very often we come together on Sunday nights, and we've already had a good day, and, and you know we're missing some tonight, maybe who have family things, and, and we might come and assume that you know we've already had the highlight, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, it's your day, and you can do whatever you want uh, throughout the day. You could do it... Um, at eight in the morning, you could do it at six in the afternoon, in the evening. And I happen to believe that we've come together because you have a purpose and you don't ever bring us together without a plan. And if you plan, um, every weight that we have and you don't waste the weight, then I also believe that you also don't waste, um, the times when we're actively seeking your word. You've got a plan. You've got something to teach and help us with. And I pray that you'd help us to look both at your word and also look inward and find out where we need to come to a point where we are submitted to the word of God. So help us, Lord, as we endure temptations and trials uh, to be careful of, of violating this principle that you've given us. Bless the reading of your word. Bless our time together. Help us to use it wisely in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are a few, more, few things more terrifying to me than the thought of being at war in a real battle. And some of you have been in the military and, and you know what it's like to be in the middle of a battle. Um, and I just imagine bullets whizzing by your head and, and bombs and, or grenades exploding all around you. You're just, you're just praying, you're just hoping that you make it out in one piece. I do find it interesting how, as well, that when someone is in a real battle, they suddenly find themselves believing in a higher power. How people in the middle of a, va in a, middle of a valley, or I'm sorry, in the middle of a battle, um, who've had nothing to do with God, um, suddenly in a foxhole, they're very religious. You ever found that to be true in your life, um, even as a Christian, how when things are going along just fine, um, you don't really make a priority of seeking the Lord or having a relationship with Him. And maybe you let your, your church attendance, you know, slip a little bit. Or maybe you don't listen as well as you used to. But once you're heading in, toward a battle, man, you're on your knees all the time. Suddenly you're in prayer. Suddenly it's urgent. And, and I really believe that the principle is true both in a on a battlefield and in the Christian battlefield. How it's easy when life is easy to not seek the Lord and, and to not really uh, have an urgency about him. But when you find yourself in a mess, suddenly you're saying, God, if you get me out of, out of this alive, 
I'll serve you the rest of my life. God, if you get me through this, if you just answer this prayer, um, I promise you I'll be more committed to my Bible. If you just give me this one thing that I really desire, I promise you I'll be more faithful to church. I'll lead my family better. I'll, I'll, I'll do better for you, God. If you just answer this and give me this. You know, life throws you in a foxhole and, and suddenly you have foxhole faith. Suddenly you're, you're passionate about the Lord and, and you're seeking him and you're praying and the things that you let slip are suddenly a big part of your life again. And, and I really believe that is part of what James is referencing here in verse 12. Remember what he's talking about. There were those among his readers that were being treated terribly by those with more resources. The rich were oppressing the poor. They were taking advantage of them. They were making their lives miserable. And so James deals with the rich, which we looked at that. But he also deals with those who are being oppressed and says, sometimes you just have to wait. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about the oppression. There's nothing you can do about the bullying. There's nothing that you can do about the misery and the affliction. And while you're in the middle of that, while you're waiting on the Lord to do something, get to know him in the trial. That's how you ensure that you don't waste the wait. God never wastes a wait, but we can. We can have such a pity party that we miss the lessons when it's hard. So as we come to verse 12, then James has made it clear that there is a proper way to deal with affliction. And the best way to deal with affliction is to remember what God is like. He's pitiful and he's full of tender mercy. And that'll help you when you're suffering, by the way. When you come into a, a season of affliction, into a season of suffering, if you'll just remember you've got a good God. That he's full of tender mercy. That, that, he's, that he's pitiful, that he, he has pity towards you, that he loves you, and that he wants you to be comforted and he wants to help you. That'll help you in the affliction while you're waiting for it to end. But look at verse 12. I know that that'll help you, but look how he starts verse 12. He says, but above all things. So this must be important. Above all things. You see, the Jews had a custom... And I'll give you some background, then we'll look at the verse. The Jews had a custom of swearing oaths or making vows and, or, or serious promises. And by the way, when, when James uses the word swearing, he's not talking about bad language, although he could and we ought to obey that too. Yeah, but when he says swearing, he's referring to making promises. The context is this, when people were being afflicted or dealing with hardships... They would say just about anything to get out of it. It's like a foxhole conversion. It's foxhole faith. The problem was they didn't mean what they were promising. Life is hard. Um, this suffering is, is oppressive. It's too miserable for me right now. Uh, God, if you'll do something for me, I promise you. I'll serve you more faithfully if you just get me out of it. They were just saying something, though, to get out of a problem, but had no intention of carrying it through. And James uses this, that thought process to give a general principle about making oaths or making vows that you don't really mean. You say, well, how does this apply? Well, I hope that you'll see how it applies. When the Jews would make an oath, they would use God's name to let others know they were serious. Say, you know, they would, I, I swear by the name of God... 
it would be the idea. But James says those kinds of oaths are unnecessary. And here's the thing. He says it's unnecessary for a Christian to say, I swear by God or I swear by this or that. Because if you're a Christian, your speech ought to be honest and true no matter what you say. It ought not to be that you have to say, I swear to make your word valid. If you're a child of God, you don't have to say, I swear, because your word is as good as making a vow. Ephesians 5 or 425 says, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul said in Colossians 3, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Speaking the truth is the mark of a Christian. Telling lies is the mark of somebody who is the old man, who's, who is, still is being led by this sin nature. And so every Christian, no matter what you say, no matter how big the statement, no matter how small the statement, everything you say should be true. Our word should be our bond. Now, before you think this doesn't apply to me, I learned about honesty as a five-year-old. Um, I hope that you'll understand that we're not as honest as we think sometimes. And I would like to get to that. So before you check out and say this verse doesn't apply to me, um, the Bible says that all scripture is profitable. So this verse has something for you tonight. And we've got other people in other places in the building. And I hope you're listening too because this verse applies to every person in this building tonight. This is profitable for us. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. What he's saying is we should have enough integrity and enough credibility in what we say that we don't need to make an oath. And as a side note, by the way, it shouldn't surprise us that James is dealing with speech again. I could go back and review all the times that we in this, this uh, series have dealt with the tongue, have dealt with speech. James 1, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. If you fail to control your tongue, that reveals that your faith is not genuine. That's a pretty heavy indictment, but that's what the Bible says. In James chapter 2, verse 12, James said, so wrote, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. If you've been set free by Jesus Christ, it will be evident in your speech. You shouldn't speak like those that are still in bondage. In James chapter 3, he exhorted believers to control their tongues, even though it's an extremely difficult thing to do. In James chapter 4, he prohibited them from speaking against a fellow believer, saying that it's equal to speaking against God's law. James was very concerned with the speech of the believer since it so clearly manifests what is happening in a person's heart. Jesus Christ said it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So James is talking to believers and he's saying faith works. And if you have genuine faith, it'll be evident in your works. And one of the works that it'll be most evident in is your speech. Young people, one of the ways that you prove the genuine reality of real faith in your life is that your words will be pleasing to God. That means whether or not Brother Samuel's in the room before class, the words that you're using and the things that you're talking about will, will please God whether or not there's an adult around. That means in the back of the bus on the trip, the words that you say will be pleasing to God. And listen, here's the, here's the genuine conclusion that James said we can come to if someone's speech is not controlled, that their faith is not genuine. 
So you want your friends to think you've got honest, true, genuine faith. You've got a real relationship with God. It'll show up in your speech. And if your speech is not pleasing to God, that says something about your relationship with God. Parents, be careful about allowing our kids to just say or speak or however or say whatever they want because it's revealing their heart. Let that be a window to the soul. So this is the above all part. James goes through, he says, here's the oppression. You've got to wait, let God do the work. Remember who he is. But above all things, my brethren, he says, if a person is dealing with external affliction or suffering, the clearest evidence of their faith will be how they speak in those situations. Because people sin with their tongues more than any other way. The tongue is a dead giveaway to the condition of your heart. And so James deals with this issue of swearing oaths when you're suffering, which is a problem for the early churches. And he gives these three thoughts here. What not to do, what you ought to do, and why you ought to do it. He starts with what not to do in James 5.12. He says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. Swearing by an oath without the intention of keeping it is dishonesty. Lying is a problem for everybody. And you say, well, it's not a problem for me. I'm much more mature than that. I'm sanctified past the point or the problem of dishonesty. There was an article with an interesting title about 10 years ago. It said, the title is 60% of people can't go 10 minutes without lying. Made a pretty good case. A quote from the article says, there are two things you can say for sure about human beings. Our opposable thumbs make us great at using tools and we are all big fat liars. By age four, 90% of children have grasped the concept of lying and it just gets worse from there. And you might say, well, I don't believe that. No, but just think about it. It's kind of hard to dispute. A book called they don't, The Day America Told the Truth gives these statistics, 86% of people regularly lie to their parents. Do you hear that, teenagers? 86%, that means 8 out of 10 of you regularly lie to your parents. The, the, you guys in the first two row, all of, all, rows, all of you stand up. Just stand up real quick. Okay, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Brother Sammy, you can sit down. And Timmy, you're so honest, sit down, Okay. All right, so that whole second row. Listen, if we're going to go based on the statistics, 86% of people lie to their parents. I think that that is probably a large bulk of young people, okay? So the second row, all of you sit down. Of all the young men that were standing when we started, uh, only this percentage right here regularly does not lie to their parents. So let that sink into you. You guys, I know y'all aren't innocent, but sit down. They look guilty, don't they? We're all guilty. 75% of people lie to their friends. 73% lie to their siblings. 70% lie to their spouses. 43% lie about their jobs or in their jobs. Here's the thing. In a world in which everyone lies, God calls his people to have faith that works. And by saying that, he's saying, tell the truth. Mean what you say. How many verses in Proverbs, in the epistles, could we read about telling the truth? 
And yet it's still an epidemic among God's people. That's why James says above all, because this is a huge problem. Remember, James is talking about swearing an oath without intending to keep it. Somebody who has no intention of doing what they say. And even if you think it will get you out of suffering, he says it's not worth the dishonesty. Even in suffering, this is a glimpse into how careless we've become with the truth. It was happening in James's day. They were using phrases like we use. You know, we use things like, I swear to God. You've heard that a lot. Some of you might even use it. Based on James 5.12, I think you probably ought not to use it. So I, I, swear by, I swear by all that's holy. I'd swear on a stack of Bibles as God is my witness. And then the ultimate spiritual test, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. In terms of a Jewish oath, there were typically three parts. First, you would make a promise. Second, you would bring God in as a witness and third, you would declare that God would punish you if you didn't keep the promise. So if you were going to make an oath, then, uh, you know, let's say that, you know, Colin, I'm sorry, um, Connor. Connor, I just, the boys sit right here so they're easy targets. Connor has this cotton in his ear. I asked, what'd you do? He said, I ran into a pole. <laughs> like, All right. <laughs> so he ran into a pole. So, um, He's got, it, it split his ear open and he's got cotton on it. I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm pointing this out to everybody, but it's kind of hard to miss. So let's say that I was making fun of the cotton on his ear. And, I, and it hurts his feelings. I say, you know, Connor, listen, I'm really sorry. I promise I won't say anything else about your ear. And actually, as God is my witness, I won't say, say anything else about the cotton. So first... I would make the oath. Second, I would bring God in as my witness. This is how the Jews did it. Third, I would invoke some kind of punishment if I went back on it. So, Connor, I promise I will not make fun of your ear. I, God, as God is my witness, and if I make fun of your ear again, may he strike me with severe halitosis. You know what halitosis is? It's bad breath, okay? Say, well, pastor, you've already broken some kind of a law. And of all the things they could call bad breath, they have to say something that starts with a halitosis, you know. So there's three parts to the oath. You've got the promise. You've got bringing God in as my witness. And then you say, here's the punishment if I don't. And this was a big deal for the Jews. It was a very serious thing for them. They would make these oaths. And they developed this way of swearing, though. So they knew that was a big deal if they bring God in as a witness. So they would start swearing by other things so they didn't have to include God's name. So they were loopholders. And they always found a way around the rule. Every family has at least one loophole child, by the way. Some of us have more than one loophole child. You know, the loophole children are the kind that say, you, you leave in the house and you're going to be gone for a few hours and you tell your kids, no TV before lunch. Hard, fast rule, right? So as soon as you leave, it's 8.30 in the morning and the kids go make a grilled cheese sandwich. It's lunch, so they eat lunch at 8.30. They're watching TV by 9 and they haven't broken your rules because it's after lunch. He's like, that's a genius idea. Thank you, Pastor. I'm so sorry to all the families I just caused problems for. No, that's a loophole. The Jews were great at loopholes. 
According to Jesus in Matthew 5, the Jews would swear by heaven, they'd swear by earth, they'd swear by uh, Jerusalem, they'd swear, literally, they'd swear by the hair of their head. And they had no intention of keeping their word. It would be the equivalent today of us doing this, oh yeah, I promise I'll be there. Fingers crossed. You say one thing, you have no intention of keeping it, so you would leave God out of the oath, and if you swear on something sacred or serious, it means you've got no, that you better keep the promise. But if you sway, say, I swear on something that doesn't mean anything, like, you know, I swear on my old toothbrush, but I'm going to keep this promise. Well, who cares if you break the promise? Who cares if your old toothbrush goes missing or gets struck down by lightning? You don't really care about that. So they would find things they didn't really care about to find a loophole around keeping a promise. It was a deceptive practice. They would swear on something other than the name of the Lord and the Jews had brought that into the early churches because James is dealing with it. Jesus Christ dealt with it and James is dealing with it. They would also swear though in God's name with no intention of keeping the promise. And that's worse because they were dragging God's name through the mud with them. Now this is a big deal. Whether or not you swear on God's name, God hears every word that you say and he takes every word seriously. And you may think that your word doesn't matter when you're doing business or you're at work and you tell a little white lie because you're trying to find some kind of an ethical loophole, but it matters to God. And you may think that your word doesn't matter when you've made a promise to be somewhere at a certain time, but it matters to God. And you may not think it matters when you've committed to be at work, or dare I say it, at choir practice on Sunday afternoons on time. Um, you don't think it's a big deal, but listen, your word matters to God, and you agreed to it. So he says, here's what you don't do. Don't swear to tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And by the way, telling the truth is so much simpler than being dishonest. It is. If you've ever told a lie and then realize you've got to tell another lie if you're going to keep the first lie up. So you, tell, you have to tell a second lie. Then you have to tell a third lie to cover lies one and two. And it just goes on and on. Kids, listen to this. Telling the truth is so much simpler than dishonesty. It's so much easier just to tell the truth. It's like lying is like Lay's potato chips. You know, you can't eat just one. Lying, you can't tell just one. You've got to tell another. You've got to tell another. So here's what he says. Here's what you don't do. Don't swear. Here's what you should do, ought to do. Just tell the truth. Be honest. That's number two. Be, just tell the truth. Jesus said in Matthew 5, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. James is quoting Jesus. Your speech should be simple and straightforward and honest. And if you mean yes, say yes. If you mean no, say no. Don't leave anyone guessing. Tell the truth. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. And by the way, sometimes you have to say no. Isn't it hard to say no? I mean, I hate to say no to people, but better to say no than have to back out on a commitment. You know, don't just say yes because you want someone to like you or, or you don't want them to be mad at you. No, you're better off saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Now, as a balance, don't say no out of selfishness. 
Because I think that can happen as well. We're called to serve one another. We're called to sacrifice for each other. And, and if you have a legitimate reason for saying no, do what you have to. But consider all the times that someone else has said yes for you in your life. Life is a give and take relationship. Relationships with other people is give and take. And some people give, give, give. And some people just take, take, take. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't be that young person. Don't just be a taker. Be a giver. And, but the point, though, is this. James says, tell the truth. Every time your lips move, be honest. Don't flatter. Don't mislead. Don't manipulate. Just be honest. White lies are still lies. There's no such thing as small dishonesty. And I know this is so simple, yet it's so difficult because the God of this world is a liar. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, Ye are of your father the devil, uh, there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's the world we live in. That's the influence of this culture. I was talking to somebody recently about their job experiences, and they'll get an interview and be led to believe things are a certain way, but a lot of important details are left out. By the way, it's dishonest. It's not just what you say. It's sometimes what you don't include in what you say that's telling a lie. Be honest. In other words, tell the truth, the whole truth. Give all of it. He's saying how he's been in interviews and he's dealing with jobs and, and he'll go into an interview and it, it, everything just sounds great. And, but a lot of important details are left out that he doesn't know about till he starts the job and commits to a job and then discovers all of these things about the job that were magically left out of the initial interview. But now he's stuck because he's committed to a certain length of time. And this person said to me, I just don't trust anyone in a job interview anymore. Let me just uh, encourage those of you that are business owners in here. When you have a job interview with somebody, be honest about it. Uh, tell them the truth. Tell them the whole truth. Give them the rundown. I'm telling you, people will appreciate. Even if you think, if I include this detail, it's not going to help me with them. They'll appreciate knowing the details. Here's why it's so important that God's people speak honestly. Because the world doesn't. And if we're going to be salt and light, there should be a different expectation for us. Just being people that keep our word, I'm telling you, it's going to make you distinct. Young people, it'll make you distinct. Just to be a person that means, that says what you say, that you mean, and you mean what you say. I'm going to be a person of honesty. I wish every young person tonight would make a vow or a commitment before the Lord. that not swearing by anything, but just say, God, I want to be a person of honesty. Will you help me? telling you it'll propel you in making a difference in your culture and your generation more than just about anything else to just say I'm going to be a person that says what I say says what I mean and I mean what I say and I, I won't be like the world listen Satan is the father of lies just let me just tell you this tell the truth there's no need to swear there's no need to make an oath just say what you mean and mean what you say even if you're suffering even if you'd want anything to, to, get, to get out of it, you'd say, I'd give anything to get out of this situation right now. Be honest still. So here's what he says, what not to do, swear to tell the, don't swear to tell the truth. What you, ought to, what you ought to do, just tell the truth. Here's what, why you ought to do it, because judgment is at stake. Judgment is coming. 
He says in verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. And you say, well, you know, we don't have to worry about being condemned. We're saved and everything's settled for us. And God, we got it taken care of between us and God. You know, we're not going to be condemned. But I want you to notice who James is writing to. Look at again at the beginning of verse 12. But above all things, what are the next two words? My brethren. You know who he's talking to? Brethren. The church. Churchgoers, Christians, deacons, Sunday school teachers, pastors, church kids, teens faithful to the youth group. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And if you have a habit of not telling the truth, the Bible says you will face the condemnation of God's judgment. Because Jesus said one day we will give account for every word that we speak. Matthew 12, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. We're going to answer for every word we say, big or small. Listen, so in a world given wholly to dishonesty and deceit and lies and manipulation, a man who simply speaks the truth will stand out. A woman who simply says what she means and means what she says will make a difference. And a young person or a child who tells the truth without dishonesty will rise above their, their peers and be blessed. Your word should be your bond. Your promises should mean something. If you say yes, it should mean yes. And if you say no... It should mean no. I mean, let's apply this. I mean, when you're making promises to God, which is, a, which is a very big part of this. Like, we're talking about affliction. When you're in affliction and you think, I would do anything to get out of this. Like, when, you, when you're under conviction of sin, we'll call that affliction. When you're under conviction of sin and God speaks to you about it and you come forward and you make a decision... Um, you might be tempted to say, God, if you'll just give me victory over this, I promise you, I'll surrender everything to you. Be careful of that. Yep. Be careful of that. Because your thought as a Christian, your thought ought to be whether or not he removes this, it doesn't matter. I surrender everything. Don't put conditions on how, well, how you're going to surrender to God. When you come and you make a, a decision, it's a decision before God. And be careful about making an oath before God or, 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 or working a deal or negotiating with God. Just make the decision based on how the Spirit has convicted you and move forward with it. Be careful of making a big vow or a big oath. Just make the decision and move forward. Let's apply this in more practical ways. If you work a job, listen, I want you to listen to this. If you work a job and the starting time that you agreed on is 8 o'clock, you know where I'm going. To habitually arrive at 8.05 is to violate this principle. Because when your boss looks you in the eye and says, starting time is 8 o'clock, say, got it, sir. You know what you were doing? You were making a promise, not just to him, but God was in heaven listening to that. And every word that you say, he hears. So to habitually arrive late, and it is a violation of this principle. 
And listen, what you're doing, many of us uh, that do this, we're putting our, our employers in a tough position because they probably like you and they value you as an employee and they want to keep you on. But, but in, it will eventually come to the point where they have to just cut the ties because you're not a person that keeps your word. So I, I just want to remind you um, that, the, that this is not just about the big oaths. This is about the small agreements. And you say, well, traffic was so bad. You know, it's suffering. It's affliction. You don't know how far I have to drive. Well, you agree to it, though. So by agreeing to it, then that means you must leave earlier so you can keep your word as a Christian. I mean, it's a shame on us if in a secular workplace, those who have no thought about God in their thoughts at all are arriving on time while God's people are coming late. You know, even in suffering, keep your word. Even if you have a good reason, I know there will be reasons sometimes, but James says there's really no excuses. He, you, you will be condemned if this is a matter of character. Teens, if you've told your parents you'll be home by a certain time or you'll put your phone up by a certain time or you'll take care of something on the day that it's your job to do your chore and your job to take care of the animal or take out the trash or whatever it is. Listen, if you agreed to it, that was not just a, a negotiation between you and your parents. That was a vow that you made before God because he hears everything that we say. And if you say, yes, sir, I'll take care of the trash, or yes, sir, I'll clean my room, or yes, ma'am, I'll do my homework, I'll be done with school by this time, um, or you, you say, yes, I'll be home by this time, to come five minutes late is a violation of this principle. To put it off and not finish when you told your folks that you would is a violation of this principle. And you say, but all these things came, and I had all these reasons, and I'm, it's suffering. Life is so hard. I mean, I understand you'll have reasons sometimes, but no excuse, what James is saying, is no excuse, even suffering, is good enough to violate your word. In your workplace, to make a deal or, or a sale and get someone to, to commit to something without telling them everything. To leave out a portion of the information is a breaking of God, Christ's commandment to let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. And I've, I say, well, I've got to make a sale. I've got to bring food home and take care of my family. No, uh, business is suffering. That's not a good enough reason, James says. To commit to a ministry. And this, I mean, this is, and I hope you'll understand, this has not just been about ministry. This has been about life, but ministry falls under this category. To commit to a ministry and to be consistently late when you've agreed to be in your Sunday school class 15 minutes before the service, like it says in the children's ministry guidelines. Or to be in the nursery 15 minutes before the service. Which, I mean, just observing... Sometimes it's, 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 a lot, it's a lot later than that. Or to be in choir at 9.15 and 4.30, those, to, to say, yes, I agree to teach. I agree to work in the nursery. I agree to be in choir. I agree to be here at this time. I agree to be at the trustee meeting at this time. To say that you'll do it and to not be there when you say it is a violation of this principle. And you may have a legitimate reason. Here's what you do when you have a legitimate reason. Tell the person that's counting on you with a text or a phone call. 
Say, listen, I know that I committed to this, but I want to keep my word, but this has come up and I can't be there. Just wanted to let you know. I'm sorry about that. Instead of, you know, saying, well, I know I committed to it and there's no way I'm going to be there or there's no way I'm going to be um, on time, so I'm just going to not say anything. I'm telling you, if you've ever worked over people or people answer to you, when, when people are conscientious enough to just let you know that something's going on, it makes all the difference in the world. If you're a teacher and, and you're going to have a tough time covering your class or you're going to be late, text Brother Mark and just let him know, hey, this, I'm just letting you know this is going on. If you're in the choir, let Brother Samuel know that you're going to be five or ten minutes late. Because what that lets him know and what it does with before the Lord is that you're letting both that authority and that authority know that my word means something to me. And I'm not just going to let it slide. I want people to know that what I say and what I commit to means something this, to, means something to me. You know, if you're involved in the cleaning, you know, it shouldn't be that, that Brother Samuel is, okay, well, you know, it's early on Sunday morning and nobody did this job. I'm going to have to go cover this. He's willing to do it. Um, but, but the right thing to do would either be to cover it when you say you're going to cover it or let him know that you won't be able to and he can find somebody else that does. You know, just be on time. Be faithful. Just do the small things. And I'm telling you, the big things will come later. Couples, if you're in the couples class, guess what time that class starts? It's like, I have no idea. It starts at 9.45. Here in the sanctuary, man, we start at 9.45 right on the dot. Guess what time your, your Sunday school class starts? 9.45. Guess what time you're supposed to be there? 9.30. 15 minutes early. You know, there are a few things that, that will um, erode a parent, a visitor, a guest parent's confidence more than you're taking your kids to a dark classroom and nobody's there. It's like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do with my kids? Right now I've got my own class to get to and there's nobody in this class. Are you seeing how this really can start to impact a lot of things? And not just, it's not just a matter of control. It's a matter of doing what's best for ministry and being accountable and, and, and trying to avoid liability. These things matter. The little things matter. And we've got to make sure that we are committing and keeping the little things because God will then bless us in the big things. But even bigger than that is judgment is coming condemnation is real for the person that says something and has no intention of keeping it. If we're, listen, if we're going to be salt and light, we must be people of our word. And not just because we're desperate to get out of a situation. And it's not only when we're afflicted, it's not only when we're in trouble, but in every word we say, because condemnation is inevitable. But here's the best reason to be a person of your word. Here's why you ought to do it. Because God cannot lie. According to Titus 1, 2 and Hebrews 6, 18, God cannot lie. And if we are his children, we ought to reflect him in our honesty. Jesus is truth. John 1 says that he came to earth full of grace and truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To know Jesus is to know truth. And to follow Jesus is to follow truth. And to believe in Jesus is to believe truth. To love Jesus is to love truth. So are you a person of truth? Why can't your word be trusted? Do you take seriously every word that you say, big or small? What, what's the world's impression of God's honesty based on your testimony 
as one of his children. Let's stop with the foxhole faith. You know, in the, in the heat of a moment, making a vow or making a commitment and not intending to follow through with it. See, what is essentially, what he is essentially saying, um, what this is, is that whatever you can get to get the results you want, you're going to say whatever you need to. I'll say whatever it takes to get what I want. So you say what people want to hear or you tell the Lord what you think he, think he wants to hear. You make commitments that you don't intend to keep and it's dishonest. And it doesn't reflect our God. And it will lead to condemnation. Listen, faith works in your words. And I want to encourage you tonight as, as not just members of Eastside Baptist Church, as children who serve a holy God who cannot lie. The best reflection of our God is to be honest. And let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. And when you speak a word, say, I will do whatever it takes to keep it. Because as a Christian, as a child of God, I reflect my father. And I will do that no matter what it takes. Will you be a person of your word? That's what we're talking about tonight. Will you be a person of your word? Or are you going to resort to foxhole faith? Say whatever it takes to get out of whatever situation you're in. No, let's just let our word be our bond. And let's just tell the truth without swearing. And let's do it because God is a God who cannot lie. Let's stand together. We'll have a verse of invitation. Brother Jacob's going to come and sing. And I want to encourage you to respond to this truth tonight. Young people, are you, are you being honest with your parents? Is there anything that you're keeping back from them that they don't know about? Condemnation is at stake. And your God, your Father cannot lie. So reflect your Father in heaven. Christian, is there a situation at work that you find yourself maybe twisting the truth just a little bit to get your way or to appear better than a situation, make it look better than what it really is? Are you in the, in the habit of making bargains with God? Just to maybe get out of a tough situation? Is there something in your life where the truth is not leading you? Where you know, I mean, you have a habit when you're around people to tell stories or to, to kind of uh, fabricate some things to make yourself look, look better or to maybe appear to be funnier um, or, or just to get some attention. That happens. Listen, we're all sinners. We're all prone to dishonesty. Um, and the one way to get through it is to remember there's condemnation. And to remember that you serve a God who cannot lie. And if we're going to avoid judgment and we're going to reflect our Father, then we must be honest with every word we say. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.